Good morning, ministers. I'm looking behind me like, okay. But, but cherubim came to visit us. <clears throat> Had a good time yesterday. Yesterday, Albie and I got together for our bi-monthly or monthly or whenever Albie calls it breakfast. But this time we had some company. I got to meet two of Albie's uh, ministry partners, uh, Ron and Natalie, Bob and Natalie. A good time. Got to meet one of Albie's longtime friends, Ray. I was sitting there at the table taking a phone call as I waited for them to arrive. And when they got there, as they approached the table where I was sitting, I greeted them one by one to introduce myself and to learn who they were. I met the two ministry partners and they were very cordial and polite. And as Ray was walking towards me, I saw his face. And immediately I could tell that he had something on his mind. <laughs> that he had come to the meeting with a purpose and a mission. That he was coming to this breakfast for some, I didn't know what it was, but I could tell that something was on his mind, the poker face. We call it in sales. His facial expression informed me that he wasn't here by any coincidence. And because of that, I immediately engaged him with an informal interrogation. Who are you? Where are you from? And since I only had about an hour and a half, I wanted to get right down to business. I knew that he came for business and I wanted to get right to the business. So I focused in on him. And I was determined to keep asking him questions so that I could open the door so that he could share whatever it was that was on his mind. And when I finally asked Ray the right question, he explained, now that's a good question. And he went into his presentation. Ray Tao is an ambassador for International Friendship Incorporated an organization dedicated to providing hospitality and services to international students on secular campuses and universities across America in order to make them feel at home in the states and build lasting friendships. And in doing this work, his organization hopes to be effective representatives of Jesus Christ, leaving their constituents with a lasting impression of the love of God. You can tell Ray, Ray did a good job of explaining to me what his organization is all about. And Ray is in town today. Raise your hand, Ray. That's Ray. Ray is in town today to identify potential ministry partners in the Chicagoland area who would be interested in advancing these services here in Chicago. I didn't know any of those details when he first approached the table. All I saw was his face. And from his facial expression, I could sense that he had a story to tell and a point to make. And I gathered that intel from his facial expression alone before he ever even said a word. I've been studying faces over this past week. Did you know that the structure of the human face is made up of 14 bones? I didn't know that. The human face is made up with between 40 to 90 individual muscles, large and small, and they all overlap, so nobody really knows how many muscles there are. You can tell that sometimes when you see someone who's had plastic surgery and it gets kind of messed up, you can tell that doctor really didn't know how many muscles there were and he took out the wrong ones apparently. That happens sometimes. It happens because of this large amount of muscles that the human face has. The human face is capable of communicating about 5,000 expressions. Who knew that? The combination of all of our facial muscles are able to communicate at least 5,000 expressions. According to science now, the human face is debatably the most useful and possibly the most underestimated means of communication that people have. 
My mother was a woman who didn't use many words. But my mother had facial expressions that gave you an entire chastising without ever opening her mouth. Her face could tell you a whole story. I inherit some of that from her. Nobody was supposed to laugh at that. That actually was. In Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 10, Ezekiel tells us that each of these cherubim, each of these ministering spirits he saw in this inaugural vision had a face, had a human face, a human face. According to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, humankind has been made in the image and the likeness of God. Humankind has been given dominion over all of God's visible creation. And of all the creatures in the world, mankind stands head and shoulders above all the rest. As we humans are the sign and the symbol of God Almighty. Not just our faces, but our entire body bears the dignity, the nobility of the creator of all things. This is how Ezekiel and most of his contemporaries would have understood the human faces of these cherubim. These ministering spirits of God are dignified and noble. Dignified and noble. That's what the human face symbolizes, dignity and nobility. But there are a couple of intriguing questions. The first question is just, how did they get this way? How did they obtain a human face. As you've been reading that over the past couple weeks, I'm sure you've asked that question, right? Has anybody asked that question? How did these cherubim get a human face? What is that all about? An even more intriguing question, how long have they had human faces? Angels are eternal, aren't they? If angels were with God before the world was even created, before mankind was even created, how is it that these angels have human faces before humans were even created? How is that? And the answer is very inspiring for me. And it speaks to the eternality and the omnipresence of Jesus Christ himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we are instructed that there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind. And who is that? The man, Jesus Christ. You ever read that scripture one that the man, there is only one God, only one mediator between God and men, the man. There is a man in heaven. We all knew that? You ever think about, there is a man in heaven. Not only is there a man in heaven, there has always been a man in heaven. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There has always been a human face in heaven. The man, Jesus Christ, before the world ever was, he bore the image, the immediate image of God Almighty himself. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Jesus was already a man. And since before the world began, Jesus Christ has been and always will be the preeminent prototype of humanity. These cherubim, being so intimately close to the glory of God, being so intimately close to the glory of Jesus Christ, these cherubim have been transformed to take on certain human characteristics. They have developed human faces as they gaze into the face of Jesus Christ himself, the man. They have been transformed because they have been looking at the man, Christ Jesus. Day in and day out. The cherubim are with God at all times. The cherubim are with Jesus Christ at all times and gazing into his face. They even have been transformed. Everyone who looks upon Jesus Christ is transformed 
even the angels. Paul the Apostle describes this transforming power of looking into the face of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, here's what he says. We all, us, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We then, as we are gazing upon the Lord, even we ourselves are being transformed into his image. No different with these angels. They have a human face because they have been beholding his human face. As these cherubim stand before the face of the Lord, they are transformed to look like him. You become like what you look at. Whatever you're looking at is what you tend to become like. And all day, this is all that they do, is gaze into his face. They've been transformed to have this human face. This is the way it should be with the ministers of Jesus Christ. We look like Jesus because we are looking at Jesus. And these gifts are not based upon one's capacity, but based entirely upon one's dependent upon the grace of God. These angels are superior to us from an objective perspective, but by faith we are superior. We have been made superior. We children of God have been made superior to them. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7 says it this way, that God has made Jesus Christ for a little while lower than the angels. Yet God has crowned him with glory and honor. He is a little bit lower than the angels from an objective perspective. But God has decided to crown him nonetheless, to be more glorious, to be more honorable even than the angels. And because of this, each one of us who has become, who has been born again by adoption into the family of Jesus Christ, we have been allowed to share in that same glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. The minister has to understand this. If you're going to be effective in any ministry for Jesus Christ, you have to understand that you share in the very glory of Jesus Christ. That when angels see you, they see Jesus. That when God hears your prayer, he is hearing the prayer of his only begotten son. Do you realize that? That we are the ambassadors, the representatives of Jesus Christ in the world. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Anybody ever wonder why we say that at the end of our prayers? In Jesus' name. What does that even mean? It's like you're signing off. Well, Lord, I need some food, I need a new job. In Jesus' name. So, like you're signing off on something. Like, what, is, what is that about? Who knows what that's about? In Jesus' name. Why do we even say it? We pray in Jesus' name because when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying in Jesus' stead. When we pray in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, Father, don't hear what I just said, but hear what I just said as if Jesus said it. That's what we're saying. That'll make you be more, more careful about how you pray, won't it? To stop asking for frivolous things and then signing Jesus' name on stuff. <laughs> When you pray to God the Father, you are praying as if you yourself were the Christ. That's how he sees it. That's how he sees it. I could stop preaching right there. And if every one of us takes that seriously starting today, I guarantee you, you'll transform your entire life. When you realize that when you go down into prayer, you are going down into prayer as Christ himself. That sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? Yeah, I know it does. It sounds very awkward and strange. It sounded awkward and strange when Jesus said, I and my Father are one. That sounds strange as well. Whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. Whatever I'm doing, that's what he's doing. That sounds so strange. No, no, no. That's the oneness that exists between the Father and his Son. And you and I have been adopted into the family of God. And our lives have been hidden in Jesus Christ, not outside of Jesus, our lives have been hidden in Jesus Christ. We are one with him. 
We are one body. <laughs> you want to have more confidence when you pray that God is going to answer your prayer? Consider that every time you go into prayer. I am not praying as myself. I am praying as Jesus Christ himself. And then you'll be much more certain because we all believe that the Father hears the Son regardless. He always answers his Son. And he always answers yes. He may not always answer me yes, but he always answers Jesus yes. <laughs> and so I pray, when I get finished with my prayer, I sign his name. I'm, I'm writing a check and I sign Jesus' name. As, I know it's going to get cashed. I know he has my glory in the bank. I know it's going to be responded to well. Yeah, I signed it. He's given me and you permission to sign his name. That's powerful. Every minister has to know that. Every minister has to truly believe that. It's a great mystery. This is what Paul the Apostle wanted the children of God to know in Ephesus. The first, second Corinthians chapter four, verse six declares this, that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? As we sit and behold the face of Jesus Christ, we receive the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And just like Moses, as we sit in his presence, our own face begins to glow and to radiate. We begin to radiate God. But I can't see it. No, I can't see it. My friends don't see it. But they don't need to see it. My enemy knows it. Let me say that again. Your enemy knows it. That's why he's afraid of you. That's why you keep going through so many different struggles and problems because the enemy can see Christ. Even if you can't, the enemy knows he's there. When he looks at you, Maggie, he's looking at Jesus. And his goal in life is just to make sure Maggie never realizes that Jesus is there. <laughs> because if Maggie ever realized that Jesus is there, a lot of things are going to change. Satan comes to the devil in the, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, and his only thing is, if you are the son of God, he's trying to, I hope you don't know who you are. If you are the son of God, make these, these stones become, if you are the son of God, trying to make Jesus question his own identity. Because the devil already knew who he was. If you're a child of God, he already knows who you are. And he's hoping that you never wake up to the truth. That when you speak, Christ has spoken. Jesus said it. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. There is agreement between you and me forever. Whatever you say, I'll, I'll hastily bring it to pass. Joe, he will hastily bring it to pass. There's nothing to worry about. If you speak it, God will do it. Ministers have to believe this. We have to stand on this. We're putting everything on the line for this. And Christ wants you to know, I got your back, man. As you look into my face, you become more and more like me. And every demon, every devil, every angel, every invisible thing, everything that is visible will succumb to your words if you know who you are in me. There's nothing that can stop you. There is nothing that can hinder you. If you understand who you are and whose you are, and if you continue daily to gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. This is what these ministering spirits came to teach Ezekiel. And what they can teach us, that the minister who gazes into the face of God becomes more and more like him. We become more dignified, we become more noble, we become more holy. A lot of Christians don't like to talk like this. But to be dignified is to be worthy of honor and respect. We children of God, I'll say it again, we children of God are worthy of honor and respect. That sounds like blasphemy too, doesn't it? We're not worthy of anything. We're worms, we're dogs. No, the children of God are worthy of honor and respect. Every child of God is worthy 
of God-like honor. But the ministers of God, the children of God, the ministers of God in particular are worthy of Christ-like honor. The ministers of Christ do the bidding of Jesus Christ in this world. And our only currency is a spiritual currency, which is the glory of God. That's all we have. And we have inherited the glory of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, the most glorious of all. The ministers, the children of God are worthy of God-like honor and respect. It's our calling card. The minister of God traffics in glory. And by this glory of God, we open doors for other people. Doors that may have been shut long ago. By, by this glory, we open doors of healing. By this glory, we open doors of abundance to the people. By this glory, we open doors of peace in the world. And we are authorized to do so because we have been seated together with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. I'm talking to ministers now. This isn't a feel-good speech. This, this isn't a motivational speech. This is to explain to the minister what he has inherited in Jesus Christ so that he can be confident as he goes out to serve. This glory, this authority that we bear is recognized by all things in the earth and all things in heaven. And the only beings that we are not, are not compelled to recognize our position, interestingly enough, is other human beings. They don't have to recognize our glory. The sea recognized Jesus' glory. The wind recognized Jesus' glory. Sickness and illness recognized Jesus' glory. Death himself recognized Jesus. The only ones who didn't recognize Jesus' glory was people. Everything else had to bow. Only people have the free will to reject the children of God. There's nothing we can do about that. Other than that, there is no being in heaven or in earth that can resist the saint when he prays. We've been authorized. I'm telling you, as a minister, you have been authorized to change things in the world. I preach this all the time. You guys have heard it before. You have been authorized to change things in the world. You have power. You have dignity. You have nobility. And you have authority given to you by Jesus. I'm talking to ministers, the servants of God, the ambassadors of Christ in the world. We haven't been sent here ill-equipped. God has equipped us with power. God has equipped us with authority, and when we pray, if we pray from that posture, from that disposition, you will find your prayers being answered much more often. When you recognize who you are in Jesus Christ. When the minister prays, mountains must move. When the minister prays, sickness must flee. When the minister prays, darkness must give way to light because we stand in the authority of Jesus Christ, the righteous. We ministers have to recognize this about ourselves. Every minister must be aware of the source of our authority. And through unrelenting prayer, sometimes even with fasting, we must not waver in our faith until we have the thing that we have requested from God. Mm. But sometimes in our false sense of humility, we cede our authority to the vicissitudes of life. Sometimes we give away or give up our own authority Often we deny that we have this power. Often we deny that we even have this authority that we've been granted because we either don't know how to use God's authority or we don't understand what it consists of. In my experience, I find that most believers do not understand what their authority truly consists of. I had a brother had a problem called me and 
having a family situation. And he was on, on, under some kind of severe, intense attack in his house. He asked me to come over and pray with him. And I went to his house. He was around my age, been saved a long time. I told him this, I said, listen, I'm gonna do this one time, and one time only. You listen to what I say, you watch how this works, and after you see it, then I need you to do it yourself next time. You don't have to call somebody to help you uh, 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 clear out your house. <laughs> and so we walked through his house and just prayed, a prayer of peace. And I am fully expecting when I pray that God is going to respond, and whatever it is that, that's causing any interruptions is going to stop. I'm not asking, I'm not suggesting, I'm not begging. I'm saying you have to stop. He called me two days later and said, man, everything is different. And yeah, 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 thank God for that. But did you learn a lesson? Because I'm not coming next time. <laughs> really, you're a child of God. This is not some authority I have or some special people have. This is every child of God, a babe in Christ, can do the same thing. In fact, babes do it more often because they have that childlike faith. We get old in, in Christianity and everything becomes very practical. That's unreasonable and we don't want to, no, 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 no. <laughs> the, the power is still there. You still have the same authority. To call those things that are not as though they were and to stand on it until God responds. We're ambassadors of Christ. Our resources come from the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, draw on the resources of the kingdom of God. Draw on those resources. You are a minister. I say that every Sunday, and I'm sure some of you guys are like, I'm not a minister. I don't know why he keeps on saying that. I feel pressured every time he, no, no, why do you feel pressured? You feel pressured because you think that I'm saying that you are a minister. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that the Holy Spirit within you is ready to do ministry, and all he's asking you to do is just become available. That's all he's asking of you. Just make yourself available. I'm gonna do all the work. I'm not depending on you, Joe. I'm not depending on you, Mike, to do anything. Not depending on Calvin to do anything. The Holy Spirit does the work. All he's saying I need you to do is to have faith and walk out with me. I'll do all the rest. Anybody believe that? Do I have any prayer warriors in the house? Do I have any people in the house who know how to get a prayer through when things get dire, when everything gets confusing? Do I have anybody who knows how to get a prayer through? I'm not talking about pretty faith. I'm talking about knowing that I'm authorized and not giving up my drumbeat to heaven until I get the answer that I need. Power belongs to God. And I belong to God. <laughs> why am I harping on that? I don't know why I'm harping on that. Paul the Apostle harped on it as well. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. This is what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He has invested his glory in the saints. I, I'm trying to explain it as best I can. He has invested his glory in the saints. I was out doing street ministry. I'm walking down the street, not talking real loud, just talking to people as I come across them about the love of God. And, a lot of people just turn their nose up and walking away from me, no problem. I'm, I'm just giving the good news of Jesus Christ. There was a brother standing on the corner, and I'm approaching, and I'm whistling, and I'm having a good day, and he's standing there looking at me come down the street. As I got closer, he just turned around and just started running. I hadn't even said anything. I'm just walking down the street. He doesn't know what I'm doing. I don't have a Bible. He starts walking really fast. I caught up with him. I'm like, uh, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. True story. I got, I said, what's your name, brother? He turned around and said, I am, I, I am the spirit of ages past. That's, that's what happened. And I escorted the spirit of ages past back to his place. You've got to go. 
I'm talking about authority. I'm not talking about, I'm not dancing around it today. Ministers have to be able to bring deliverance to people. To say that this has to stop now, in Jesus' name. No question about it. <laughs> no question about it. I was sitting in a McDonald's, me and my mom, eating, eating dinner late at night over, over on the South Side of Chicago, 55th Street. A lady comes up to the table, stands beside me, and my mom is looking at her like, what is she standing at our table for? And she's standing like this, and I'm just eating, I see her. And she says, I know who you are. And I looked up and said, and I know who you are. You need something? What am I saying? The devil knows who you are. Make no mistake about this. And let me give you this warning. Whether you choose to do ministry or not, he's still going to harass you the same way. Whether you do ministry or not, he's still going to treat you the same way because he knows that you have the potential to be a big problem for him. So anyone who's thinking, I'm not gonna do ministry, I'm not gonna start a personal ministry, and you think you're gonna be safe, you're not safe. No child of God is safe from the temptation of the adverse. No, he's not letting you go like that. You may as well do ministry because you're gonna be tossed into the fire anyway. You are a minister, a servant of God. And since you've gotta pay this price anyway, you may as well get some good out of it. You may as well put your hands to the plow and go to work in your community. Get to work doing the work of God in your space. Whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference what it is. Listen, I drive a bus right now over in Gary and I bought a bus just to transport disabled, no, no, call them disabled, uh, uh, special needs people back and forth to their appointments. That's all, that's all I do. Drive people back and forth to their appointments just to make sure they have somebody. You would be amazed. The number of conversations I get to have with their parents. The needs that are in the world. And I'm just driving a bus. Babe, so what I'm saying is you don't have to do anything big or great. I'm just driving a bus. But because I am out and about in the world, because I'm out there making connections and having conversations, ministry just comes. If you stay in your house isolated, no, you're not going to be a minister because you're not doing anything. You're not engaging anybody. Start engaging people, and I promise you that God will put you to work. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. You are a minister. It's time to do some work, guys. It's time to stand up in your authority and be the person God has called you to be. So Paul wants their eyes to be enlightened so that they know the hope of their calling and the riches of the glory of their inheritance, what it is. And then listen to this. He wants them to know what is the boundless greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Paul wants them to know this. That the power of God toward them is great. That whatever they put their hands forth to do, that God will back it, so long as it's within his will. With the greatness of his own power, you cannot fail. And if we're going to be effective ministers for Jesus Christ in our work for the Lord, we have to embrace this unbounded greatness of the power of God as our own. Not for my own sake, but for the sake of all of the broken and bruised people in the world. It is time for us to walk outside of the doors of the church and to make ourselves available to the hurting. I need training. You don't need training for that. I need some class. You don't need classes for that. All you need to do is have compassion and make yourself available. God will use any vessel that is compassionate and makes themselves available. Hmm. We must step into the dignity and the authority that God has allotted to each of us. We must do the work of the Lord as if we are the Lord himself. I'm gonna repeat that because it sounds so provocative. I gotta say it again. 
When you as a minister of God take up your calling to do whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, you do that work as Christ himself and not as yourself. This is the secret to effective ministry. And every creature that is seen and unseen sees you not as your natural self. Laura, they're not looking at you. Laura, they're not trying to abuse you. Laura, they're not being hard on you. They're being hard on Jesus because they see him. Even if you can't, you are working in Christ's stead. And the world hates him. So the world will hate you. These cherubim present themselves. Not as having their own power, not as having their own authority. But they present themselves to Ezekiel bearing the face of the Most High God, Jesus Christ. The face of humanity. Ezekiel goes on to say, and all four of them had the face of a lion. The face of a lion. In Ezekiel's day, of course, the lion, and even today, the lion is the symbol of strength. The lion is the symbol of stamina. And the lion is a symbol of endurance, right? In other words, these cherubim know how to take a punch. These cherubim know how to get knocked down and get back up again. They have strength. They have stamina. They have endurance like a lion. These cherubim could withstand setbacks and bounce back from every failure like a lion. These cherubim could hold on until God brought relief, however long that took. These cherubim did not quit no matter how difficult it became. And the ministers of Jesus Christ do not quit. We have stamina, we have strength, and we have endurance like the lion. We do not take our hands off the plow and we do not hit the brakes just because things get hard. When I was in the military, they teach all soldiers and sailors and whoever's in the U.S. military force, they teach you the first general order. This is the first general order for every soldier, every sailor. It goes like this. <clears throat> I will guard everything within the limits of my post, and I will quit my post only when I am properly relieved. That is the first general order. I will guard everything within the limits of my post and quit my post only when I have been properly relieved. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter how much sleep I got or didn't get last night. It doesn't matter how I might be feeling how difficult the task may be. I will not leave my post. I will not walk away and I will not falter in my responsibility to the kingdom of God until such time as my commander, Jesus, invites me to stand down. I will stand until he bids me sit like the lion. Otherwise, you can find me at my post of assignment, doing the work and doing the will of my God. The ministers of Jesus Christ do not take our assignments lightly. We understand ourselves to be delegates sent from heaven on a particular assignment. Did you know that? Every one of you in this room has a particular assignment. It may just be to reach your cousins and your family. Doesn't have to be anything major. I'm not talking about building a, a megachurch. I'm just talking about just reaching those few people that God has assigned to you. Do you know who they are? Do you pray for them? Are you praying for your ministry? Ministers have to pray for their ministry, not for the church. Never mind praying for the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Don't worry about praying for the church. Jesus has that covered already. Pray for your particular ministry. What are you called to do? This is who the minister is. This is what she does. And she continues moving forward against all odds like the lion. The lion is courageous. The ministers of God are courageous people. And courage is the ability to do the thing that frightens you the most. That's courage. To do the thing that frightens you the most. 
to persevere in danger, to withstand great difficulty. This is courage. And what might be some of the things a minister would be afraid of? Let me ask the question a different way. What is it that's keeping you from going out into ministry right now? What are you afraid of? What might the minister be afraid of? Let me tell you this. The dangers and the difficulties of ministry cannot be underestimated. There is fear of loss, there is fear of failure, fear of looking like a fool. There is the fear of the naysayers, the fear of losing support. There are all kinds of fears involved in stepping out on faith. But there is no fear in ministry that is more potent than the fear of not measuring up, the fear of inadequacy. And this is no doubt what keeps most believers from engaging in meaningful, life-changing ministry. The fear that they don't measure up. This kind of fear can be debilitating, it can be paralyzing. These thoughts of inadequacy, these thoughts of moral weakness have prohibited too many believers from engaging on their kingdom assignments. Because fear is not an emotion that is easy to control. When I first became a minister, officially, 25 years ago, I became a director of a Sunday school. And I get up there in front of Sunday school class to teach my lesson, have all my notes and everything. And Sunday school, Sunday school with adults never goes the way you think it's going to go. Because you've got all these arguments and what about and what if and what, you know, all that kind of thing. And every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, I would get into these arguments. I'm just trying to teach this little lesson. I got my little notes right here. Just let me just get through the lesson. No, what about this? What about you know, all kinds of things? And so I developed a little bit of an anxiety about it. And Sunday morning, I'd be getting up to get ready. Like, oh, God, I got to go do this again. Got to go talk to these people. They're going to be arguing and everything. I'm tired of this. I'm so... My pastor said, you should go see a counselor about that. <laughs> You've been teaching for a long time. Why are you so nervous? I had never met that kind of resistance before. I'm like, what, what, what is this about? Why does everything have to be an argument all the time? I go see this counselor, and this is what the counselor says to me. <clears throat> First, he offers me a book. Great book, by the way. The Courage to Teach is the name of the book. Great book. Uh, but he says to me, listen, you're always going to have fear. So if you're trying to, like, kick fear out, you may as well stop. Very difficult to do. Most people can't do it. He says, but you have to look at it like this. When you look into your heart, there are all these different shelves all over the place. I'll never forget this. There are all these different shelves, and on one of those shelves sits fear. He says, now, there's nothing wrong with recognizing and acknowledging that you have fear, but you have to deprioritize fear to get the work done. Then when it's over, you can fear all you want. That's pretty clever, actually. And what I learned was I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to get rid of it. Fear never has to leave, but I have to prioritize it correctly. When I have things to do for God, I can keep the fear, just put it down on the lower shelf. I got things to do right now. <laughs> yeah. That's how the children, we're supposed to be courageous, to do those things that frighten us the most. And how do you do that? By deprioritizing fear and by prioritizing the promises of God in your life. I don't have time for fear right now. I'll put that fear on the back burner until later. I was driving, I was driving down in Detroit, Michigan. Going to the Ford Motor Company down there. If I told you guys this story before, please bear with me. <clears throat> Driving tractor trailer, man, <clears throat> down in Detroit, Michigan. And I, I, I almost missed my exit. And I'm driving too fast. Yeah. I'm driving along. Oh, my exit's right there. I swerve over to get off the highway. Rookie move, really. But I, I swerved over to go off the highway, and I didn't look at the curve, how sharp it was. It was a total circle going all the way around like this. I come into this curve, I'm going like 70 miles an hour, and I'm fully loaded. <laughs> and I'm trying to tap on the brake, but in a, in a tractor trailer, if you hit the brakes too hard, the, the, the brakes start smoking and everything, you lose your brakes, you can execute yourself. So, can't hit the brakes too hard. I'm coming to the curve, and I'm leaning on the brake real lightly, and sweat is everywhere, and I'm holding on to the seat with everything I have. Uh, and so I'm coming to the curve, and I look in my mirror, and I see my trailer like tilt. Oh, I'm, I'm about to fall over, right? I get to the end. Hmm. Truck behind me says, hey, Burlington. I said, yeah, go ahead for Burlington. 
He said, I've never seen that before. You were on nine wheels all the way around that. I've never seen anybody drive a truck on nine wheels like that before. I was up in the air the whole time. I, I, I could feel my equilibrium was wrong, but I thought I was just barely making I wasn't barely making it. I was on nine wheels. Do you know how scared I got after he told me that? Now, now it's already over. I already did it. It's finished. I had to pull the truck over to the side of the room and had a panic attack. Yeah, freaked me out. The trouble was over, but I'm like, oh my God, I almost just died. Fear, right? Had I freaked out in the middle of that curve, I would have died. Hold off on fear. Do the work of the ministry. Do what you need to do for God. Forget about your fear. Forget about your feelings of inadequacy. Do the work. And after you finish doing the work, you can fear all you want. But do the work. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do the work. When it seems like it's failing, so what? Do the work. The face of the lion, the face of courage, the face of strength, the face of stamina. Then there's this face of a bull he sees. Another one of these four faces was the face of a bull, symbolizing in his times productivity and progress. No matter how hard the ground would get, the bull keeps on plowing along. No matter how many rocks in the ground, he keeps on plowing. He keeps his head down and he works really hard and he keeps making progress inch by inch and step by step. The face of the bull, hard worker, dedicated to the task at hand, always faithful. Even, even when it seems like the work is not producing any fruit, plows in hope. That's how the minister must approach his kingdom assignment. We plow in hope and we continue to plow no matter how dark it gets, no matter how difficult it feels, we keep on plowing. We work hard. And finally, finally, he sees the face of the eagle symbolizing swiftly. Did you guys know how, you guys know how fast the fastest eagle in the world can fly? I learned this, just, just learned it myself. 200 miles per hour. There is an eagle that flies 200 miles an hour, the swiftness of the eagle. Now the birds in the Middle East during that time and even during today, they flew between 50 to 100 miles per hour, but the fastest, the fastest of all the eagles flies at 200 miles, that is really, really fast. And the minister should be swift as well, swift to hear, swift to serve, swift to follow God's every command, eager to serve. Brothers and sisters, these are urgent days we're living in. As I look at all the problems around the world, sometimes it can be overwhelming. There's so much going on in our world, so much trouble, so much trauma, so much sickness. There's so much, these are urgent days. And today, like never before, God needs men and women of faith to take up the ministry mantle and to go into the highway and the hedges to compel people to come. These are urgent days. No time for second guessing. We must move swiftly to engage this dying world. Nighttime is coming when no one can work. The minister must work while it's day and we must work quickly. Each of us has been given a responsibility within the kingdom of God. Each of us is being invited by Jesus Christ to respond to the call to be enlisted into his purpose for our lives and for his world. The eagle doesn't hesitate. When the eagle sees the prey, he swoops right down quickly and grabs it up. The swiftness of the eagle. And these are the faces of these cherubim, these ministering spirits of God. They shine with the glory of Jesus Christ. They stand through the fiercest of storms. They are faithful until the very end, and they are swift to do the Lord's bidding in the world. These are the attributes of the cherubim, and these four attributes is what every minister should aspire to, what every child of God was made to reflect in the world. And this is the way and the making 
of the minister. Let's pray. Father, there's trouble in our land. There's trouble in our world. Latest report says that two in every four Americans are suffering from mental health issues since the pandemic. There's trouble in our world. And Father, you have invested within each one of us your own glory to be able to give light to the blind and hearing to the deaf, to break up fallow ground. Help us not to take your power and your authority for granted. Help us not to sit back on our own laurels and expect everyone else to do the work. Give us vision of who we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Fill our hearts with mission and with purpose to go into the highways and the hedges and to compel people to come. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are so few. My prayer for each one of us, each minister in this room today, is that we will become a laborer in your vineyard, in the spheres of our own influence. My prayer for each one of us that we will listen to and be attuned to the Holy Spirit. That we'll start those evangelistic conversations with our loved ones, with our friends, and even with strangers on the street. Ignite us, Lord. Activate us and call us into service. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Help us to emulate your faithful cherubim. Give us strength, give us courage, give us swiftness. Fill us with your glory. And even today I pray that you will give ministry opportunities to each one of us. Whether it's just speaking a word of encouragement to someone at a bus stop, whether it's going to a hospital and praying for the sick, Whatever it is, Lord, I pray today that you will open a door and opportunity for some sort of service. Help us to know who we are in you. Help us to come out of our places of comfort and to come out onto the battlefield, onto the front lines to advance the cause in the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the world. This is why you have summoned us. Help us not to fail you. In Jesus' name, amen.